0: Come on and listen. We got suggestions on the Bird Talker Radio.
1: If your bird's misbehaving, we'll help you save it on the Bird Talker Radio. If your bird's getting rowdy, just call and say howdy on the Bird Talker Radio. We are birds of a feather. We'll stick together on the Bird BirdTalkRadio.com. Check. One, two, three, four. Live from Kansas City, KC Bird Whisperer International Productions presents Bird Talk. Live online, I'm your host, Mike Kiger. Guess who I have on the phone? you should already know if you've been watching my Facebook page everyone loves Tony Silva we all love him I've got him on the phone right now and let me check my levels real quick let me do a little check my monitor there we go Just want to make sure everything's going right we're recording and Tony Silva welcome to bird talk live online Thank
0: you. Good evening to everyone, or good afternoon, or even good morning, depending on where they could be listening. Um, <laughs> it's a pleasure to be on here.
1: It is. It's a great pleasure to have you back, Tony. And looking forward to... I can't wait to, to hear what you have to say with your um, so, discussion like about the origin is- of aviculture in the future in the USA. Is this where we're at tonight?
0: Yeah, I'd like to reflect, because... You know, I see a lot of people entering aviculture and I define aviculture as uh, everything from pet ownership to a, a professional breeder. Many people that have entered this hobby really don't have a grasp of where we've been, where we're at and where we're going. And it's important to have, uh, have an understanding of that. And then, uh, also understand where parrots sit. I can't talk about finches. I can't talk about soft softbills because honestly, I have zero experience with them. Uh, parrots have always been my passion. Um, early in my aviculture career, I kept some hornbills, I kept some toucans. Um, I was somewhat successful with them, but they weren't my love. So let's reflect on parrots. Let's look at where parrots are today. If we look at the number of species, there's roughly 375. Of those, P8 are critically endangered, endangered, or threatened. And 56% of those species are declining. The primary factor is obviously habitat loss. When you look at habitat loss, one of the leading factors is soybeans and palm oil. So when people say, well, I'm a vegetarian, I don't impact it. We all impact it. Because the soybeans that you consume as a vegetarian for protein or the palm oil that you consume, the same thing that those of us that are non vegetarian consume. Uh, the soybeans are fed to cattle, to chickens, um, and, and everything we consume. So we're all responsible for whatever level of habitat loss. So that's the primary factor causing the decline. Uh, two other factors come into play. One is disease. When we look at cockatoos in Indonesia and in lorries, Uh, Many populations have crashed, crashed beyond hope because of beak and feather disease. So what's happened is, as the forest is lost, fewer and fewer nest trees are available. Birds that may be ill, that may be suffering from beak and feather, will nest in a cavity. They fledge, and the next bird comes along and uses that cavity. It's coming in contact with the virus and then becomes infected. So when those of us that have had some experience in the field in Indonesia have really come to grasp that beak and feather disease, it's a huge pressure against Indonesian cockatoos. And then the third factor is the bird trade. And everybody says it's an international bird trade, and it really isn't. The bird trade today is primarily focused on range countries, it's within countries, or it's geared towards parts of Asia, and parts of the Middle East. Within the range countries, we can cite one example. Pepe Teja and his team of researchers from Doñana in southern Spain are really cool biologists. They spend a lot of time in the field. They they don't expect luxurious conditions. They know that it may be days before they can bathe. Uh, They may uh, be eating local foods. They may be getting sick, but they spend time in the field. And data from Bolivia, and Bolivia stopped exporting birds legally um, in, in the 1990s. They, they no longer exported uh, birds commercially. So when they looked at the internal bird trade, they expected it to be minimal. The numbers, unfortunately, are shocking. Through one primary market, uh, 1.5 million birds are sold a year. The average lifespan of these birds that they traced and they followed is nine months. So the birds are cheap. They're bought oftentimes as toys or because it's cool to have a parrot. The bird dies. They go and buy another one because they're cheap. It is a massive, massive intake of birds. Uh, When you travel to the Itzoksog area, which is a specific area within Bolivia, there's hardly any blue fronted Amazons left. And it's because they've been trapped out. And the poverty level means that if they can get a few dollars for the birds, they take them. So they the the they take youngsters, but they're also taking adults. And the traditional way of taking the adults in the soga is you bake these little clay balls and they slingshot the birds as they fly. Many of them tumble down, but some of them tumbled down missing an eye. Or with a crushed upper mandible so the 1.5 million birds sold is really not the entire amount taken many more birds are taken and this is for the internal trade so parrots face three factors habitat loss it's the primary one uh, disease and then the internal trade and then there is some internal external trade primarily uh, in indonesian birds and primarily in African grace, uh, going to um, the Middle East and Asia. So those are three significant factors. Let's look at the birthplace or the birth of aviculture. At Pompeii, there are frescoes dating to 79 AD that depict an Alexandrine parakeet. And not only does it depict the Alexandrine parakeet, it gives you some idea of what they should be fed because there were walnuts with it. And we know that alexandrine parakeets require some level of fat in their diet. We sort of move forward to to 900 AD in Chaco Canyon. Uh, There is sufficient evidence to suggest that they were breeding scarlet macaws. So bird keeping is very old. Um, Alexander the Great brought birds back. Aristotle described them. Uh, the Romans kept them in cages made of gold and silver and tortoise shell and ivory. So aviculture has been practiced for a long time and birds have been for a very long time if we look at the macaws at Chaco Canyon in 900 A.D. The current fad for bird keeping, when I ask people, what stimulated aviculture in the U.S.? Most of them don't have an answer. And those of us that are old enough will recall in 1975 there was a program on television and it featured a talking triton cockatoo and the program was beretta that bird sparked such an interest that if you look at import numbers into the u.s there was an immediate spike everybody wanted a copy of fred the cockatoo fred would answer the phone could talk would drink uh gin uh, and was the perfect pet, or so it, it appeared through this television program. So Beretta caused a massive import of birds. Millions of birds were imported into the U.S. That trade set off a series of events significantly. Prior to to Fred, naval culture was primarily practiced in Europe and it was a pair of birds in an aviary. Uh, They would put a nail on the box because you couldn't check the nest box. Evil culture had progressed very little from Roman times. In fact, I was at the Archive of Indies in Seville a week ago, and if you look at some of the old manuscripts from the the Spaniards that arrived in Mexico City and described Montezuma's private zoo, which was massive, And if you look at the information on the parrots, really aviculture has changed very little uh, through the 1970s with that data. They talked about giving it a varied diet, keeping it clean, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Clipping a wing to make it tame. Then Beretta sparked a huge trade in the US and the result was surgical sexing, genetic sexing, most surgical procedures. A lot of research on on avian diseases. We knew very little about them, and even the development of vaccines. Aviculture during the 1990s. It was Christmas every day. Millions of birds were flowing into the U.S. legally.
1: When we were, we were still creating... allowed to import, right? Correct.
0: Correct. That changed yes. I used to watch
1: Beretta. I still remember. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. You know, it's important to understand how it evolved and where we got and then where we're at today. So we were in the 1990s. We were at at the tip of the iceberg. We had achieved the unimaginable. We were breeding New World parrots and African parrots in massive numbers. The Europeans had primarily worked with Australian parakeets because they could survive the cold weather in outdoor aviary. And, and I'd like to take a pause because it's winter and it's a time that a lot of people say, oh, my God, my womb gets down to 56 degrees. Will my bird be able to survive? You can go to Kai Kaihurst's aviaries in Denmark. They're outdoors in freezing weather under snow and the birds are outside living very healthy. And we're talking about budgies, Australian parakeets, and even cockatoos. So they have a tremendous tolerance for cold. And these Australian parakeets adapted readily. We in the U.S. focused on New World parrots and we focused on African parrots. We had more species enter the U.S. than historically everyone else had had received. So out of the 375 species, we had 278 reach American aviculture in sufficient numbers to be able to keep them alive for multiple generations as wow. the wild bird conservation Act <laughs> wow. came into respect
1: that's a lot of different a lot of different species and yeah. listening on it he's talking about the importation of parrots if you're not familiar with the history and I'm just trying to let Tony go on uh, without jumping in because he's Tony lectures and and teaches and he's 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 like a living encyclopedia uh, 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 of aviculture. So I want to let him just roll with all this. Um, but I, I Tony, that's amazing. I, I never, you know, I've followed a lot of this information about the importation of parrots into USA um, from you know when you're talking about back in the days of the TV show Beretta, where it became really popular, maybe to have a parrot, um, but probably only people that had a lot of money, you know, they were probably real expensive. At that time, uh, the price probably went down as as they started to flood the USA and imports, um, but you're saying
0: so? Uh, I it was like that, 275
1: species coming into the uh, USA?
0: 278 species. I considered, uh, based on import statistics and numbers and visual observation, 278 of the 375 were imported in numbers that I felt were sufficient to keep the species alive. To give you an idea how the numbers, uh, the size of the numbers, blue and gold macaws in in, uh, 1988, for example, were $650 at a wholesale level, wild-caught birds from one of the importers. By the 1990s, they had dropped to as cheap as $175 each. So massive numbers of birds were imported. It was very competitive. And then we we were at the cusp. The naval culture continued to evolve. The Bird Conservation Act comes into place, and things changed dramatically. And I realized about five years ago that we had lost, our leading role in aviculture. And I said, we, the U.S., U.S. aviculturist. We had lost our leading role when I get an email from a young man in India, um, Abbas Kausar Harawala was his name, and he said, uh, I would like to breed my hooded parrots, and I would like to do it naturally. Can you tell me about them? And I said, well, they nest in uh, terrestrial termites, mounds, they're very poor incubators because the heat generated by the termites keeps the warm. Um, so the parents basically spend a lot of time outside. They require a heated nest. And I went to great lengths to describe this because he seemed to be genuinely interested. A couple of months go by and he says, uh, Mr. Tony, I have followed your advice. And he had reconstructed out of clay with heating elements a termite's mound in an aviary. I realized that moment that we had lost that leading role, that we had developed genetics, sexing, and, love, and, and, and surgical sexing, and vaccines, and all that. We had lost it. So I decided to look back at aviculture and see where we had come and where we were at. And if we look at today, today, and, and I looked at the numbers at great length uh, for two reasons. One, because I gave a lecture at the Avicultural Society of America Convention here in Miami last year, and I wanted to give those present a state of the arc, where we were, where the arc was today. And then secondly, because Citer Culture was published, I had worked on, on, on the Macaw book, it had been published. And the next book that I'm working on, which will take me a number of years, um, the macaw book, uh, I started working on it in 1993, and it was just published last year. So that gives you an idea of the the, the detail. I want to see all the birds in the wild. I want to be able to breed them all. I want to be able to have data that records everything we know about those species. And obviously, you know, I may have some hypotheses. But I would love people to disprove me because if they disprove me, then we advance aviculture that much more. We take it to the next step. So I was working on Amazons and I wanted to look at where we were. So we knew that we had had 278 out of 375 species that were viable. And then today we're down to 35 species. That's an 85, 89% loss of species.
1: In the USA. And when you look at the
0: species right? loss. Yes. When we look at the species lost, in here, I'm going to beat up on both aviculture and rescues. So I'm going to everybody's going to get it, myself included, because I am an aviculturist. I am a bird breeder. Um, we've lost black-billed amazons, Mirajo Island amazons. We basically have lost uh, the diademid amazons. We've lost red-faced lovebirds, red-bellied macaws, coral-billed parrots, buru king parrots. And I can go on and on and on and on. We yeah, I never see any of
1: those around. Yeah. Yeah. None and, of- then,
0: and then we look at species that we are losing. And we're losing them very quickly. Everybody says that we need to stop breeding cockatoos. That's a very broad statement that needs to be quantified there are problems with some cockatoos. There are lesser sulfur-crested cockatoos that are doing terrible in the wild. There are citron-crested cockatoos. And the citron, those of us that have been on the island will tell you, that bird is in serious trouble. One from deforestation and second from beak and feather disease. Um, and the Moluccans, there was a glut of Moluccans because everybody was breeding from wild birds. The wild birds bred very well. They were impor- incorrectly reared. And we breeders are responsible for the chaos that we created that then rescues got because they were suddenly flooded with all these unwelcome male, primarily male Moluccan cockatoos that were sexually, uh, hormonally active. But when we look at the number of Moluccans bred last year in the U.S., I could only account for three. And i called hundreds of breeders, three youngsters. So when you say you need to stop breeding Moluccans, I think we need to say we need to take some of the birds that are currently um, in rescues, and they need to be placed in a breeding situation where the breeder understands he can't sell the species for pets. Um, we need to maintain the species alive because they are in trouble in the wild. Uh, when you look breeding at one of to the,
1: save the species, right? the
0: species, and and you know I'm using just one example, Pucum and amazons are, are almost gone. Blue-cheeked amazons, purple-bellied parrots, yellow-collared macaws, dusty parrots. These are species that are disappearing. The, The lessers from Timor is doing really poorly in this country. We're gonna lose them. If there's someplace they should be placed with the hands of a breeder that is prepared to commit to saying, I will not sell them as pets. I will try to keep the species alive. Because what we've seen in Australia, is that unless we do that, these species could get wiped out very quickly. Already, these cockatoos are facing huge problems: deforestation, disease, and internal trapping, and then even some smuggling out. Just um, basic
1: impact you know, of mankind, huh?
0: Yeah. When you look at, for example, there's a glossy cockatoo on Kangaroo Island. Um, that popular, the bird had a small population, four hundred birds. The fires reduced it by half. As of, within, within days. And we really don't know how much further it will be reduced as the fires continue. Do we wanna lose these species or do we wanna try to preserve them so that when the time comes, they can be reintroduced to the wild? And people say, well, parrots are poorly, uh, uh, do poor when they're captive bred and they're reintroduced, and that's not correct. Come to Miami and I could show you thousands of parrots that are living wild that originally had uh, that were originally captive or escaped from captivity. In fact, um, I've seen wild Amazons, the males up in a tree displaying to a female talking to her, suggesting that it was clearly a captive redbird. So what I'd like us to do is to look at uh, trying to save some of these species. In aviculture, we breeders have done a terrible job. We have hand-reared chicks. We've not taken care of preparing those birds to become birds. It's very easy to hand rear a bird that's clingy. Everybody wants to have a cockatoo sitting on them. Uh, They want to pet it. The bird has had very little contact with other birds. It's had very little contact with multitude of people. Uh, Oftentimes, the new bird owner doesn't realize that there are areas you don't want to touch because you could stimulate the bird. but we've, we've, we have contributed to the problem, but we need to work with rescues to bring back some of these birds. And there are legal contracts that you could be signed saying, I don't want these birds to be sold from pets. They've gotta be bred, I want the microchip. There is genetic fingerprinting. You could fingerprint the youngsters to verify that they come from that particular pair. What I'd like to do is for us to see if we can as a community work together. We all wanna save these birds if we can work together to try to save some of these species that are really doing bad. The yellow nape is a super common bird in aviculture. Go into parts of its range, and it's gone from much of its range. The population in Mexico has crashed. Guatemala has crashed. Um, You look at the populations in Nicaragua, they're crashing. Only in Costa Rica is the population fairly stable. In Honduras, the situation is abysmal, and not only is it a yellow name? There are a multitude of subspecies that are genetically distinct, behaviorally distinct. They're they're just vanishing.
1: Why would the population in Costa Rica be stable? What's well, what's Costa Rica right about has, it? There.
0: Uh, Costa Rica has a strong national park area. They are within Central America. They are probably one of the. And I'm excluding Panama in this case. They're one of the most opulent countries. The people um, seem to be highly educated so they can understand that you don't wanna take these animals from the wild. And they enforce the wildlife, uh, their wildlife laws. In Honduras, and Nicaragua, it's more difficult. People tend to turn the blind eye. You know, as I was told when I was in Honduras and there was a guy selling baby parrots that were being fed only cornmeal And, and I talked to Um, one of the government officials that was with us, he said, it's very easy for you to tell us to enforce our laws, but maybe the office lives in the same village as that person selling the birds. Do you know how uncomfortable that could be? Culturally, there are that also come into play.
1: People selling birds for their survival. In some regions, they even eat parrots, don't they?
0: Oh, you know, in the Malukan Islands now, there's a problem where... um, one of the tribes that used to head hunt, hunt many years ago the 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 young men proved themselves by trapping uh, a Moluccan cockatoo and then subsequently uh, killing it and eating it it's a way of proving their manhood so these things are in serious trouble we need to as breeders we need to stop think and analyze where we've been and what we've contributed to we need to prepare birds that are going to become pets to become pets. We need to get them to socialize. We need them to understand that they are birds first and foremost. They are not a human with feathers. We need to understand, uh, we need to get those birds to understand and to play with enrichment. I posted a video uh, recently of some baby golden conyers that we are hand rearing. And we train them to jump into a tub. From a tub, they're trained to go into a crate. From a crate, they're trained to give you a claw, so that we can um, we can take blood. And the reason that we do this, the birds are not going to become pets; they're going to become uh, part of a breeding program. We want these birds to be able to uh, understand certain rules, but be birds. They will interact with each other. They're given branches. They're given uh, today, for example, they were given palm leaves and some palm seeds. We want them to understand that they're birds, but also that they understand some rules. The reason that we do this, this basic training, is that uh, we live in a hurricane area, and we may need to evacuate. I want to simplify the stress that my birds go through. I want to be able to put a crate in a cage and have the birds go inside because they recognize it. It's not foreign to them. And I think this is something that breeders and even stores can do. Let's prepare these birds to become pets. It isn't just rearing it and selling it. It's Let's put some effort into this so that we don't flood rescues with unwanted birds.
1: Even training find- your pet bird to get in the bird carrier or uh, working positive reinforcement training with your bird so you can take them to the vet, right? I mean, I know I, I groomed parents for 30 years and I've been bitten so many times because people... You know, most people tend to just a long time ago. It a lot has changed in the past 10 or 15 years, but back when I started working with parrots, grooming and all that, most people just kept them in a cage for visual entertainment. They didn't work with them. They didn't try to handle them. So you know, they none of them were tame and. You, know, we, you we, try we to take, take that bird to a vet and get a, a blood work or something. You're gonna you're gonna be bleeding <laughs> you're trying yeah, to just know. trying to get a, a a blood get some blood out of the bird's foot or something, right?
0: Just it's it's having a bird that understands it's a bird that understands certain rules, but also the potential buyer understanding what they're getting into. They're adopting a five year old child that's never gonna go to college that's never going to earn an income, that's going to be there for a long time. You know, we hear, oh, parrots live 100 years. Let's look at realistic data. When we look at realistic data that's been verified, uh, there's not a lot of birds that live beyond 50 years. Most of them don't have these 100-, 200-year-old lifespans. And the best case that I can give you is there was a, a report many years ago of a of a sulfur-crested cockatoo that had lived at a zoo for 120 years. Well, the zoo had not been in existence 120 years. When you look at the International Zoo Yearbook, which is a, a, a data gathering a, a, a facility, institution publication, they gather data from zoos and from commercial breeding operations that breed some of these endangered species. When you look at their data that's documented, when the birds were imported, looking at historical data, there's very few birds that are that are beyond 60 years old. Very few. And this is documented data with, with, with good, sound information. But you still need to understand that this bird can ostensibly live 50 years. Do you understand what you're getting into? Do you understand that it will eat, that it will bite, that it will defecate, that it will require toys, food, vet, veterinary visits. There's an investment here, it's important that people getting into birds understand this. Um, we had a recent, we we recently uh, about last year, mid last year, we had a movie star, and I won't mention names, come and say um, he came with a, with a with a, a very famous singer and said, uh, look, we would like to buy some scarlet macaws pets. And I said, do you understand that uh, these birds are like children? He said, no, 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 no. I want, the one understood what he was getting into. The other guy, no, no, no. I just want a bird uh, from my lanai because it'll look exotic. And I said, well, clearly <laughs> you're not getting a bird from me. You're not qualified. I've heard this
1: story so many times. Not, uh, not exactly what you're saying. But
0: right, right. Yeah, and because so people... We,
1: people don't yeah. understand they well they're so colorful they see a bird you know that talks you know in a video or something and they think well that'll be entertaining and it'd be great for my guest at a party that but yeah, they, they have know, no clue what they're dirty. really getting into right what what you were referring to Tony is the relationship the bird needs and you you take that bird in your home and you don't you don't submit to that relationship the bird wants and you got an enemy screeching in your yes. in your house for long periods of time and, and tearing up things and yep. right like a little kid, right?
0: You know, hiking hiking month in Germany has um gets people that want a bird to go through a class. And it's very much like adopting a child. You need to know what you're getting into. So, you know, from the part of the breeders and the stores, we need to prepare the birds and we need to do a much better job at educating. We also need to uh, understand that the internet is full of experts that have no experience. Um, this week I commented, there was a post on a Quaker site talking about how many walnuts should I feed my Quakers and how many pistachios. And I jumped in and said, do you understand the biology of the species? This is a species that has evolved to eat grass seeds. They shouldn't be fed high fat foods, that is not. And everybody that was an overnight expert on the internet jumped in and said, oh no, but I give mine X amount of walnuts, I give X amount. And I'm saying, you know, how many times have you seen them in the wild? Do you understand what they they eat in the wild? Um, do you understand that they have evolved to consume a very low fat diet that they wait for one fruiting of one tree to nest because that one tree has a higher fat content that they can use to rear their chicks on
1: it's a matter so we, of the the DNA that species originated in right not yes.
0: or, at, or like or that species
1: say, it's kind of like circadian rhythm that affects all birds no matter where they are Or what species? But um, when it comes to different species, that bird might eat the nut that you hand them—the pistachio, the walnut—but it doesn't mean that that's actually good for that bird, right?
0: Well, you give a child, you know, a bowl full of candy and a solid meal, uh, comfort food as it's now called, and I guarantee he's gonna eat the candy. Uh, You know, I'm an adult; I know better, and. You know, I have a terrible sweet tooth, which I have to control every day. So, you know, the sugar is not good for me, but it tastes good. And the fat is not good for them, but they like.
1: You are listening to Bird Talk Live Online, a presentation of KC Burwhisper International Productions. These shows are live call-in Bird Talk shows, produced and recorded live from Kansas City. You could be the next guest on Bird Talk Live Online. If you have any type of exotic bird, parrot, cockatoo, conure, budgie, we would like to share your experience live on air. If you would like to be a guest on the show, call 816-278-2494. That's 816-278-2494 anytime. Or visit birdtalkradio.com for details, show listings, portfolios of recent guests, and advertising opportunities for your business bird talk live online bird talk shows are broadcast 24 7 365 days a year that's 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year benefiting millions of bird keepers all over the world i'm your host mike kiger thank you for tuning in today